again, I think it's a choice each of us has to make, whether we barricade ourselves behind our own assumptions or ideas or ideologies, or whether we remember the many things that bring us together. And I sometimes feel that ideas set us apart, but emotions and actions bring us together. If I'm walking down the street and I see somebody fall down, I'll reach out a hand. I'm very well indeed. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm very excited for this journey. We're, we're joined right now with Pico Iyer. He is uh, an author of some of the best-selling books, Video Night in Kathmandu, The Lady and the Monk, The Global Soul, and The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. And Pico, has there ever been a quest that humans have been searching for more than the quest for paradise? Exactly. I mean, we're all longing for a better life, a better self, a better world. So I don't think the quest often works out well, but uh, I do believe that one way or another we find the paradise we need, sometimes close to home. And sometimes far from home, you have an amazing um, list of places that you have gone to. You've spent a lot of time in Japan. You've spent time in in Nepal. You've traveled the entire world. Do you think that your journeys have brought you closer to this idea of paradise? Sometimes (laughs) they reminded me what paradise is not. Um, so I remember when I was a little, when, when I began my traveling life, I would go to many of the places that we see on the travel agents' posters, in Bali or Tibet or the Seychelles, and they're all wonderful places, but I would think <clears throat> these are probably paradises to the tourists who's here for two weeks, but, but probably something very different <laughs> to the local and probably real life. And if I really did feel uh, I came upon somewhere that was very calm and at peace and was a kind of Shangri-La, I wonder what it would have to gain for me. I could probably only bring it to corruption. I would be the serpent in the garden. So it made me think that paradise is probably mostly a way of seeing and a way of being. And I really was reminded of that during the pandemic, because that's when I started to think, here I am in this very difficult situation. How can I find hope and light and calm even now? That seems to be uh, very close to what the uh, the Dalai Lama would say, that uh, paradise is in the moment and how you can serve others in the moment of, of being, rather than thinking about where you can go. Oh, you put your finger on it perfectly, Tom, exactly. As you know, I've been lucky enough to be traveling um, and talking with the Dalai Lama for 48 years now, ever since I was a teenager. And when people ask him about Shangri-La, he says, that's just a place in the mind. Um, I remember I was once sitting in on a private audience he had with a Korean gentleman, and the Korean gentleman was so excited. He said, Your Holiness, you're going to go to the Pure Land, to the Never Never Land of, of Nirvana. And the Dalai Lama said, I don't want to be in Nirvana. I, my job is to be here on Earth, helping others. And like any doctor, he needs to be right in the midst of the world and the streets in order to offer some help. Well, continuing from that, a lot of people view life as, as being exhausting, as being this never-ending pilgrimage that, that is somewhat maddening because we don't know where we're going. How do you think His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, how does he find such positivity and optimism even living, uh, living on this planet? I think it's because he sees every moment as an opportunity. And you know how in this book towards the end I say the fact that nothing lasts is the reason that everything matters. Not when we're not going to live forever, nor are our loved ones, nor is anything we know. So that's the reason to find our gratitude and inspiration right now. And it's very, when I'm traveling with the Dalai Lama, I'm with him every minute of his waking day. Uh, and I'll go into his hotel room at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we'll get into an elevator and go down into the lobby. And what I notice is every last six-year-old girl or boy who comes up to him, 
he listens to as if he's listening to the Buddha, and he brings all his attention to that person. And the next day in Tokyo in front of 3,000 people, he'll talk about what he's learned from that little girl. And people may think, oh, this is something he says at every stop, but I know because I'm by his side. It's something he's just learned the previous day. So um, I think he sees every, every day as a reason for gratitude, really. It kind of brings me to mind, I'm a nerd, but the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> there's that, uh, there's the dichotomy between the humans and the elves. The elves live, live for thousands of years, and yet they don't really live at all. They're, they're very um, contained and in solitude because they don't want to give away the immortality they've been blessed with. But humans, because everything is so fleeting, because their time is so limited, they go out and they create a life, and they experience life more than the elves ever could have dreamed. I love that. that. That's really interesting, because my first thought was, you know, humans and perfection don't go together. But for that very reason, as you say, humans are seeking things, are going out into the world and, and expanding our horizons and actually finding moments, at least, of, of perfection, where, where we're never in a state, I hope, of complacency. And if we are, a virus or a forest fire or a love affair comes along and we're suddenly shaken up. We're speaking with Pico Iyer, author of The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. Pico, I have to ask, was Eden paradise? Because it seemed like it was tempted, or there was a lot of temptation lying in wait for it to be paradise. You're so right, and, and that Eden is the place where knowledge is a kind of depth. And I remember when I read Paradise Lost in high school, what struck me was that when the archangel leads Adam to the gates of paradise to expel him, he says, now you can find a better paradise, uh, happier far within. Now you've, you've squandered your chance at the external paradise, but you've gained a chance to find a much more lasting paradise, because the paradise that you find within probably won't get so lost so easily. Pico, I, I imagine that picking up this book and, and flipping through the pages might be one way of starting this quest if somebody's trying to figure out what paradise is. How, how do you recommend when, when you meet somebody searching for paradise? Where do people begin? In their backyard. And it's a funny answer, but during the pandemic, uh, my, my mother was 88 years old and was very ill, and I flew back from my little apartment in Japan to be with her. And I couldn't travel as I usually would, and the health club was closed. So I just started taking walks with my wife up the road, right behind my mother's house. And it was usually early in the morning. The sun was just showing up over a ridge. The mountains were flooded with golden light. We turned around. We could see the Pacific Ocean in the distance. And I realized, my goodness, this is as beautiful as anything I'd go halfway around the world to find in Cape Town or Rio de Janeiro. And here it is right next to our family home. And my parents have lived on that property more than 50 years. I'd never walked to the end of the road, only 20 minutes away, till the pandemic. And it just reminded me, you don't have to go far to be transformed. And paradise, I think, is really a way of seeing and a way of being. And as with the Dalai Lama, you bring the right eyes to what's around you. And I think you can find everything you want right there. Pico, I have to ask, because the other key part of your title is the half-known life. What, what, what does this mean? Does this mean the eternal search for paradise? Well, I had things in mind. On the surface level, I was thinking that in this age of information, I worry that we know less about the world than ever before. And we know least of all about the countries we hear most about, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Kashmir. We know something about their governments or their economies, their nuclear policy, but we know very, very little about day-to-day -day life and regular folks. So I make it my job, especially in this book, to go to places in the headlines and try to give them a 
voice and a, and a face, starting off with Iran and Belfast and North Korea. But at a deeper level, I feel that our lives are determined by things we can't explain. Suddenly you fall in love. Suddenly a pandemic shuts down the world. Suddenly this happened to me. You go upstairs and right next to your family home is a wall of flame, 60, 70 feet high, and you lose everything you own in the world in a wildfire. And I think really how we shape our lives has to do with how we deal with those many, many forces we can't begin to explain, but are really significant. And the pandemic is the most obvious example, I guess. Pico, I think understanding what what paradise is is probably going to be individual to each person, and it's going to be something that even if you understand it intuitively, you can never really explain it to somebody else. But how can we use the idea of paradise and finding peace in the moment? How can we use that to maybe bring some more peace to the world around us? Uh, Such a beautiful question, because I think we all know we're more connected than ever before, and yet we seem to be more divided. And I think this speaks to the half-known part of my title, because so long as I think I know it all, and I know better than you, and I know more than you, I'm going to be barricaded behind that knowledge, and I'm going to be at odds with probably almost everybody around me. But as soon as I say I don't know, and I can't explain these things, and in many cases I don't have a clue, I suspect I'm going to be joined. I'm going to be in a position of humility and openness. So Again, I think it's a choice each of us has to make, whether we barricade ourselves behind our own assumptions or ideas or ideologies, or whether we remember the many things that bring us together. And I sometimes feel that ideas set us apart, but emotions and actions bring us together. If I'm walking down the street and I see somebody fall down, I'll reach out a hand. And I'm not thinking whether she's black or white or Christian or Muslim or nothing at all. I'm just responding to her at a human level. And I think that's where the possibility lies. And that's why I travel across the world to places that sound very exotic or uh, hostile to try to recover something human that they have in common with us. And maybe that's a great explanation for why the Dalai Lama listens to children so much, because they're at that age of um, this innocent wisdom that they're not putting up barricades to what they think is true or untrue. It's a wonderful perception. I hadn't thought of that, but you're Absolutely right. And in fact, when I travel with him, really some of his richest encounters come when he goes to junior high schools and high schools. And he always tries to have those on his schedule because he knows those are the movers and shakers of tomorrow. They're the ones who are going to be creating the world 50 years from now. But just as you say, the beauty of that is that when he opens up to questions, there are 1,100 questions in a, in a room of 800 kids. And they're really essential questions. Your holiness, what's the meaning of happiness? How can I be kinder to my little sister, (laughs) etc.? And they cut to the core because, just as you say, they're not cutting themselves off with their their assumptions and judgments. They're beautiful questions because they they just, they cut right to it. I I think that's beautifully stated. Pico Iyer, Iyer, author of The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. Pico, where can people find the book and more about you online? I have a website, which is picoiyerjourneys.com, P-I-C-O-I-Y-E-R, journeys. And uh, they can find the book wherever books are are sold. My wonderful publishers, Riverhead, are very good at getting the book around. So um, I hope in this time of turmoil and uncertainty, people might find a little bit of hope and light in the half-known life. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Uh, Anything else you want to include, Pico? No, I really, really delight in your questions and that you're following the conversation so, so beautifully. Um, I love that point about kids. You're absolutely right now, I think of it.
Well, thank you again, and have a, have a lovely weekend. You too. Thank you again for having me on your show. Take care. Pico Iyer, author of The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. The following interview was originally recorded January 27th of 2023.